Welcome to the Faith and Belief Forum podcast. We work towards a society with strong interfaith relations where difference is celebrated. Join us as we delve into questions of faith, belief, identity and more with fascinating guests from diverse communities and organisations across society. This week we're talking to Rabbi Mark Goldsmith, Senior Rabbi of Edgware and Hendon Reform Synagogue. We began by talking about what life is normally like in the Jewish community that he's part of and how things have changed since the start of the coronavirus epidemic. My name is I'm Rabbi Mark Goldsmith. I'm Senior Rabbi of the Edro and Hendon Reform Synagogue, which is a community of about three and a half thousand people. We are spread from Edgware, Stanmore, Mill Hill, and all around actually, although 60% of our members live quite near to the synagogue, 40% live three, four more miles away in places like Radlett, Shenley, and Hendon, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's wide and it's broad. And uh, we are a community of a very broad spread of ages. There's at least 200 people in each decade of life, um, except that we only have uh, 17 people over 100 who are members of the shul. A community like ours is just full of life, which is gorgeous. It's everything from Zumba gold to yoga sessions to bridge to schmooze with the rabbis to shiurim on a Shabbat morning. Maybe 300 people for a Saturday morning service and, and fewer than that on a Friday night. There's still a nice, nice group of people. Um, there would always be a parallel service. There would be youth activities going on, a cheder and teaching young people for bar bat mitzvah. Lots of people visiting each other, just, you know, of, uh, being with each other on behalf of the synagogue. And that's how they got to know each other. Memory Way, Memory Lane Cafe for members who are living with dementia, for example. Um, just such a broad branch of activities. Business breakfast for people in the community who are involved in business and want to spend some time together looking at the quandaries of business ethics so many different things and that's really what this kind of community is all about meetings in members homes as well where people invite the people living in their local area to them uh, cuddle up shabbat which is where the shabbat dinosaur makes an appearance and uh, we get our youngest members get the chance to be part of that our kindergarten and old age daycare center as well all of these things are completely changed during this time what do you find has been the biggest change or adjustment since this crisis began and since, I guess, in particular, since the social distancing measures were, were put in place? Well, the, the biggest change since this all began and the one that's really hit hard is so sadly just the number of bereavements, uh, which is horrendous. We are burying or cremating a member of the synagogue at least once a day at the moment. Um, and it's really horrible. Many are deaths from COVID-19 and uh, the, the waves across the families are just huge. So that's been our biggest change. And of course, the, having to do so using Zoom so that people can virtually be there so that they don't infect each other. That's been really tough. At the same time, we've been trying to make sure that we stay very much a functioning community. We've been doing that through Friday night services uh, online, Saturday morning services online, festival service online, communal seder is going to be online, and actually different ways of doing it. So as well as the service being uh, viewable from the synagogue website, 
at the same time, my colleague Rabbi Emily writes for German has been running a Facebook live service that people can interact with each other because we've got to find ways of people to be able to talk to each other. We've been doing Shirim using Zoom and other technologies so that we can continue to learn together as a community. Um, our youth and education departments have been making sure there's lots of activities for young people online. But it's all at this one remove, but the levels of participation have been really high. So people have really been going for it. The other big thing, and you know, uh, it, because of the bereavements, it's so difficult for us to think about this as something that anything positive can come out of at all. But one thing that's been really lovely is what we call community circles. So many, many members, and there's over 70 of them already, have taken on a group of 10 to 15 other households who they're regularly in contact with, helping when they need it. Um, large group of our members have been calling everybody in the synagogue who's over 85. And we're now gradually doing the same for people who are 70 to 85, so that there's that contact there. Now, some of that may well stick in the future, you know, that they've got to know the people living very locally to them through that. And I suspect relationships will come out of that will be really positive for the future. But it's, you know, I have to say it's impossible to look at this in a very positive way with all the bereavements that have been happening in our community. On, on the topic of bereavement, can you talk a little more to, to what that's been like, particularly in, in your role, uh, especially when people have maybe not been able to mourn in, in the way that they normally would and go through the rituals and so on? It's been really tough for us as rabbis. There's myself and Rabbi Emily, and uh, between us, we are looking after as many families as we can. Um, there's a number of things happening. One of them is the amount of time it's taking between a death and the funeral to take place has been enormously longer than normal. So trying to be in contact with the families and support them through that. Then the fact that the families themselves can't come to the funeral and that we can't do a shiver, uh, the prayers that take place in people's homes, that's been super tough as well. Um, we've been trying to substitute for that by doing a nightly evening service um, where the names of those bereavements that we have in our community are mentioned online. Uh, but it, we know it's not the same thing. We're all together in it. And I have to say, families have been just beautiful in the way that they have understood the limitations that we're all under um, and have coped with it as well as they possibly can. But there have been some really, really sad things happening, including a husband and wife who both died within a day and a half of each other from COVID-19. And you may know, or it's been very, very popularly known across the country, that one of our own rabbinic team died one week before his retirement, Rabbi Neil Kraft, um, so there has been no time to stop and reflect. There's been, you know, again, another thing that's been very special is our interfaith contacts. Though the churches around us, the mosques around us, been in contact with us, um, sharing their condolences, obviously, on, on Rabbi, Rabbi Cross' death. But also our local mosque offered us uh, personal protection equipment if we need it for any volunteers who are helping out with the process of bereavement. They, we've been in touch with each other and that's been really, really something special and has kind of shown that, again, like I say, we're all in this together. Why do you think it's, uh, it's important to keep up these, these interfaith connections in, in, in these times? 
but we are part of a mixed community of people of all different faiths. Um, not only because of where we are there, are, you know, we're, ne we're near to churches. We, we do quite a lot together with our local churches, including, you know, in better times, the election hustings we did together with our local church for the uh, general election. The memorial service that we do on Remembrance Sunday, again, we do that together. So that's been strong and, and very important in our community. And it means we know each other. So at this time, we're able to speak with each other. I was speaking to the Alim of our local uh, Shia centre. And um, we were talking about maybe doing some teaching together and actually doing something that gets our communities to speak with each other now. We're working out whether we can actually do it. And unfortunately, both of us are just so run off on feet at the moment, it's difficult to get these things to happen. But there's a sense that we're all, we're all together in this. This uh, awful, awful disease has, strikes everybody, it has no discrimination on anybody, and therefore we're to, we are together in it. Thank goodness we have some relationships to build upon. As you say, it's difficult to see anything positive while we're in this incredibly difficult situation. Um, you did mention there are some initiatives that you might want to see hopefully continue after this crisis. Could you maybe speak a little bit to that and if there's any particular initiatives you, you'd like to uh, hopefully see, see continue after things hopefully return a bit more to, to normal as it were? Well, this, this, is a, this is a bit more of a difficult one because the fact is on a Saturday morning service, let's say we're normally blessed with two to three hundred people coming to enjoy it, but we've been having two to three hundred computers linked up which means there's been four to five hundred people coming to a Shabbat morning service and maybe I mean it's not that we've always had a live stream I don't know whether people will just more generally use that kind of use the ways of making the synagogue accessible to to join us and to be part of community that's possible I think we, we, are, we are likely to use ways of being in each other's homes through technology in the future I think because we've learned quite a bit about that. And, and I know that, I mean, it's funny actually, uh, uh, 15 years ago, I uh, innovated a Skype shiur for members who were stuck at home. And there was a wonderful person who joined me, uh, this was a previous synagogue, who was himself in his late 80s. And his wife had dementia and she was in her, her mid 80s. He was unable to come to anything much at the synagogue, but knew that he could study from home because of it. And I think, you know, we probably have been underusing technology in recent uh, years for making things more accessible. Also, our older generations who were previously rather worried about how to use it have been learning very fast. And so that makes that more possible. We may be able to speak to housebound members at home and see them and do more visiting in, in different ways, for example. I think another thing that will happen out of this is, as I say, there's been closer contact between members of the community than we normally have through the community circles think, network that we've got going. Um, and I'm sure that's going to create relationships for the future. I really hope it does. Our young people as well, who lead extremely busy lives and often very difficult to say, come in, on, come in to the synagogue Sunday afternoon at four o'clock because we've got a youth activity. Meanwhile, from home, adjoining stuff and getting involved in things um, because they can and a lot of it you know sort of all sorts of challenges that you can do at home and then come back and show it on the camera and things like that and we might do more of that so just I think finding using our what we're learning out of this as ways of 
being more accessible to our community may well come. And do you also think that people's faith becomes more important to them at difficult times like this? And if so, why? Well, I, I think what I'm seeing is, yes, it has done. The numbers of people who are coming to services virtually um, has been high. People have been really interested in that kind of support being around. They've also been somewhere much more open to new ways of doing it. So, um, as I said, we've been running a formal service and an informal service at the same time each time, and people have been swapping between one another. The informal one, which has been very nice, has in, involved talkback, uh, messages coming forwards and backwards. The rabbi who's leading it saying, you know, thank you very much, uh, Josh, that was lovely what you just said. Let me share with everybody what I said. And we don't normally do that in a Shabbat, in a, in a service. So that sense of being part of a truly connected community has become very important, actually, and much more so than I would have expected. Next, we spoke to Rabbi Mark Goldsmith about the Jewish festival of Passover, what its significance is, and how it will be different this year during the coronavirus epidemic. If this was a normal year, families would be gathering together in each other's homes. You kind of, you pull your extended family together if you're lucky enough to have one, and you have what's called the Seder. The Seder means it's the telling of the story of the liberation of the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. And it's become a symbol of the need for liberation for us and for everybody. And of course, that makes it super poignant this year because everyone's stuck in their houses. So a lot of people are creating kind of digital uh, seders, seder in virtual seder in using Zoom and such like and other, other similar things. Um, they're not able to be with the people they would like to be with. It's very tough. We as a community are creating a communal Seder, which we're going to do online as well um, for as many people as want to join us. And uh, that's been and that, that will be lovely, but we'll all be doing it from essentially the, the lack of freedom of our own homes. So part of this is going to be about finding the freedom in your soul that you know, can you still feel free in yourself. There's also a strong feeling of times when Jews were unable to do these rituals, such as in uh, the Soviet Union, when it was not allowed, um, or if you did so, you did so effectively as an act of rebellion. Times when Jewish communities felt very unsafe and you had to do this very quietly and uh, without, uh, without your neighbours being aware of what you were doing. One of the awful things is that uh, one of the worst examples of persecution of Jews came around Seder time its proximity with Easter, uh, some nasty, nasty propaganda spread around Easter about Jews and the meaning of the Passover ritual that we have. Uh, the eating of matzah, our unleavened bread, was a cause in medieval Europe for massacres of Jewish communities. So we know we're not the first Jewish community that's had to deal with Passover being a really tough time. And I think it will be this year. We'll do our best, though. Is there any advice you'd like to give to anyone who, who thinks maybe that it will be a, a challenging time and anything they can do to yeah. make it a little bit easier? I think one thing to remember for Passover is it's not going to be perfect this year. There's quite a sense of trying to get Passover just perfect that often one does each year, cleaning out your house, being ready for it, 
having the special foods that make the festival feel special. For so many people, they're just not going to be possible. And absolutely, undoubtedly, this is not a time to put your life at risk in order to be able to do Passover. Um, so that's one thing, that's for sure. That really Passover is about that sense of there will be hope for the future. We will get through whatever we are. The, the last words of the uh, Passover Seder is Lashana Hababir uh, next year in Jerusalem. And that's always meant something that has been a spiritual symbol of that possibility of getting to where we need to as a Jewish people. And often people will add Lashana Habar Olam Nigal next year in a world redeemed as in to be in a world which is better and so many things have been sorted out and okay and we, boy we need that now because of the situation that the world finds itself in. So I think that sense of hold on to the fact that Passover has always been a hope giver. Let it be a hope giver to you now. Passover is a time of bringing people together but you can do that by phoning the people that you love and just you know somehow bringing them close to you in that way. We don't have to lose those ideas behind Passover, behind Pesach. What lessons do you think people, say, outside the Jewish community can learn from, from the meaning of Passover? I think one can learn the lesson that hope is always possible, even in really tough times, and that liberation is enormously important. You know, there are choices that we make and once we're out of this period that we will continue to make about other people's liberation, modern slavery, for example, being careful what you buy, where you buy it from, making sure that you're not contributing towards people being deprived of their liberty, but also helping others to have hope. And I have to say, you know, all the local neighborhood initiatives that are going on, that all people are volunteering to help the NHS and such like, all of that is hope giving celebrate that hope that's what i would say you don't need to be jewish to celebrate hope the other thing about pesach which actually links it to some of the content of easter is a sense of a spring festival you know we are one thing that is making this slightly more tolerable for people is at least it's sunny outside at least it's warm at least when you do step outside you're stepping outside into a pleasant environment and celebrating and appreciating that springtime's coming the buds on the trees things are beginning to grow that's also still so worth celebrating absolutely are there any um final words any final message you'd like to share with people i think one thing that this whole coronavirus crisis is doing is it is bringing the world together there's nobody saying this is not you know your people you're in trouble and we're okay nobody can say that Nobody can say this faith group, they're doing okay. This faith group is not doing okay. This ethnicity is, this ethnicity isn't. We're all in this together. This has got to be something that unites the world beyond this crisis as we realize how much we could work together. You know, my mother, when all this started, said to me, it reminded her of wartime. But there was one big difference. And the difference was that the, there was no enemy out to get you. There was no sense that somebody was focused on your destruction. Instead, we're all dealing with the same threat and working together, doing what our government says and just being really, really careful. We should be able to get through it. This podcast was brought to you by the Faith and Belief Forum. 
You can find us at faithbeliefforum.org and on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter.